0: Hello and welcome to the Gold, Goats, and Guns Market Report for today, April 30th, 2023. My name is Tom Luongo and we have a lot to talk about. Um, Quick shout out to all the new patrons. And uh, it's a beautiful April morning here in North Florida. I don't know what else to really say. Uh, If this is your first time in Fight Club, please stay all the way to the end. I've been getting a lot of questions and comments recently about getting a formal education in my version of technical analysis. Now, and they come in through the Patreon DMs all the time and through questions on Slack and the rest of it. Um, I'm going to, the problem with this is, is that it's really not very detailed. It's actually, and I'm going to go over it in detail again this morning. It's going to take three or four minutes. And it's really all it should take because there's like four things to learn. And then that's it. And then everything else is just interpretation after that. And Once you get those two or three rules down, everything else doesn't really matter. Now, everything else just kind of should just fall in and it Really matter should just kind of fall into place. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to do that for the veterans. You're just going to have to, 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 to grin and bear it. And it's just something I I can formalize this, but because there's no real good way of keeping, the, because there's no repository for this stuff. Because there's no good places on the way. The blog is. And it's just it, there's, it's Patreon is a bad interface for what we do, um, and that's one of the things that Dexter and I have spend a lot of time talking about how we're going to improve that for the future now that we're at a point now where it's over 3,000 people. So, um, for those of you who are, you know, very interested in the technical analysis side of things, um, which is important to understanding how this all works, um, bear with a couple of basic rules, listen to them very carefully, because, and we'll go from there, okay? All right, OPEC. So the IEA came out earlier this week. The International Energy Association, which is you know another one of these godforsaken globalist institutions that are so goddamned important. I'm in a foul mood this morning, by the way. So if I if this is more NSF, more not safe for you know for work in, than it normally is, well, you know I'm sorry. I'm not I'm not in the, the the best of moods this morning, um, but. The IAEA came out and said, "Hey, OPEC, you don't have the right to manipulate oil prices, and watch you be careful watching, you know, be careful manipulating oil prices." To which OPEC shot back and went, "Yeah, back at you," which is exactly what I've been screaming about for six months, right? That they've been manipulating the oil futures market for months now in order to, and you know, through sanctions and and the futures markets and everything else. And you know they had the unmitigated gall because you know these people are unbelievably shameless, narcissistic sons of cock sucking bitches to say, "Oh my God, you OPEC, you don't have the right to manipulate oil prices by changing your production quotas and all the rest of it." Like, okay, okay, boomer. Like seriously, I'm at that point with these people. But it was great to watch OPEC come back and go, "Yeah, right." um you stop basically you stop manipulating the dollar futures markets and you know and stop putting sanctions on everybody that looks extra sideways and you know we'll consider you know allowing for a more open market for oil which leads me to this morning's com real the the the, the crux of this morning's commentary there was a positively ghoulish article on Zero Hedge this morning, which I called them out for. Um, it didn't feel like it was written by them. It felt like it was written by, you know, some freaking neocon think tank or Bloomberg or whatever. But it was this big article about India. And the title is that, you know, India is basically, the EU is buying Russian oil still. And they're just, you know, paying, they're just buying it as from a markup, at a big markup from India. Which is something we've all known for months, or over a year now. But it was the second half of the article that was the most important because it was a whole series of points describing the situation and then getting to the conclusions. And the conclusions that the author supposedly, because no other byline than Tyler Durden, that give up sanctions, you needed to start going into full trade embargo. And it was written as not as an "Oh my God, we're, you know what are you doing?" Going the trade embargo. This is supposed to be zero hedge, the bastion of free market economics in finance. No, it was just. Do you need to do this? I mean, the 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 Tyler that wrote this article, and I'm like, this can't be a zero hedge guy writing this. This has to be one of these articles that they scraped and forgot to put the byline up top, and the and it felt like a Simon Watkins article. To be honest with you, over, uh, over at Oil Price. So I went over to Oil Price this morning to check to see if I could find the article. And the first thing I see at, uh, uh, on the front page of Oil Price, which is a site I don't like checking, and it'll give you two reasons why I don't like checking Oil Price. The first is because it's mostly neoconservative in its worldview. And again, guys like Simon Watkins and some of these other MI6 agents that, that write editorial comment at oilprice.com are you know, clear intelligence assets. And then this, that's the first thing. Reason why. The second thing is, is while I was there, um, using Opera as my browser and not Brave. I use two different browsers, by the way, on a daily basis. These Opera and Brave. And Brave is where I go for most things, but there are some sites that render better in Opera. Uh, investing.com is one of them. So is, um, like things like the CME and, you know, for the futures prices and stuff like that there's just certain things that you know render better on opera so i have those two browsers on my in my um open at all times and mostly I have all the financial stuff in opera and i have all the general browsing stuff in brave with sh- uh, shields up as much as i can get away with so i don't normally notice this stuff but i also have bit running on my machine and I'm at oil price for no less than 30 seconds, and BitDefender comes you know, popping up. Oh, by the way, we blocked a connection from oilprice.com through Opera to you know these various Chinese websites. I'm like, oh Christ. So, you know, oil price is completely infiltrated by the Chinese and MI6. And writing copy from MI6 and CIA and everything else. And I'm sure that's all part of the intelligence stuff. So like I don't even like going to oil price in the first place. So this is all a big preamble for point number two, which is that there's the headline, top of oil price this morning. The biggest change to Brent Crude ever is about to take place. Now y'all know, longtime subscribers know that I only ever quote Brent Crude, I don't quote quote WTI. I don't track the price of WTI except as maybe the Brent WTI spread because WTI is not used to index the price of most of the oil in the world. Most of the oil in the world is indexed to, to to North Sea Brent. Period. It has been for a long time. It used to be about 85% of all oil quoted was quoted in relation to Brent. Hell, even the Russians, you know, used to you know would set their tax policy based on the price of Urals, which is almost always quoted in Brent as a premium or discount to Brent, usually as a discount to Brent because of the cost of doing business and converting into rubles and blah, 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 blah. So the Russians always have had to take five to $7 a barrel less for their Euro's grade under, under Brent crude. Now it's $25 a barrel, but you know, whatever. But there's a big change coming to the Brent crude index and that WTI will start to, will become a part of the Brent Pricing index from here forward. Now, WTI has traded at a discount to Brent anywhere from four to eight dollars over the last five years, um, because you know WTI hasn't been great; has been in huge supply, and uh, you know Brent hasn't been. The output on Brent has been falling, and uh, WTI has been rising. Right. So, what is that going to do? Well, the 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 big thing of course is that it's going to support the uh, desire to bring the price of Brent crude down to try and uh, limit the amount of money that the Russians make on the oil price They're Again, they're trying to push the price down because if WTI trades at a discount, to Brent, once WTI is added into the index, Brent is going to drop another three or $4 because the gap right now is about almost four bucks. So figure even if they, you know, even if they add WTI in as you know half or thirty five percent, it's still going to you know narrow that spread again, shave a couple of dollars off the price of Brent, keep the price of oil under control. The goal here is to continue to control the price of Brent crude and keep it as low as possible. All right, because part of the neocon goal has been to starve Russia by. Um, by limiting the price that they can get for their Urals grade, which then trans- which then flows directly to the bottom line of the government's tax receipts, because their taxing their tariff rates are based on the realized price of euros grade. So, in effect, the Russian budget surplus slash deficit is directly tied to the price of Brent crude, which is why Janet Yellen worked so damn hard to get this stupid oil price cap in place on Russian Urals grade, seaborne Russian Urals grade, which they have now cut off almost completely from um, European trade, right? So now all that oil goes to India, gets refined and or blended, and then sent back to the Europeans to pay a higher price for it. I guess this is a geopolitical twofer because it makes oil, excuse me, an energy um, that's quote, quote, unquote, not renewable in Europe that much more expensive bankrupting the middle class in Europe that much faster. It also provides a new market for the massive amount of, uh, of oil coming out of West Texas, you know, Permian and, and not and all that in the Bakken. And, um, you know, cause U S oil production is back up over 12 million barrels a day. And, uh, that's that. So Kamina agrees with me, by the way. So, um, there it is. So this is a big, this is a big deal. This is, again, another one of those things where they're just desperately trying to keep the price of oil under control by changing the definitions. So the Russians have already countered with this and they'll, they've already, they've already got, you know, changes to the budget laws under, uh, under, uh, under consideration that, you know, they'll move away from tying to Urals and or Brent and they'll move to, you know, something else. I think they'll move to Dubai or, you know some blended price between Urals and Espo, and all the, they can do whatever they want. They're the Russians. They can change the law. It's not a big deal. So it's all quite sad when you really stop to make the. You know when you you stop to listen, you start to think about all this stuff. So in the way that this is this is you know playing out, but you know they'll, you know they never underestimate their willingness to go all the way to the mat for whatever it is that their policy is, right? They'll never stop trying to make moves. Well, if you do this, then we'll do that. And then we'll do this. And then we'll make this more complicated and we'll make that more complicated. And then you can see how the world just becomes this morass of just bad policy. And it just continues to con- continues. It continues. They just, they never admit defeat. They just always look to figure out another way to play another angle to get what they want. Meanwhile, the rest of the world goes, you know what? what the hell with all of this. We'll just change. We'll just use a different index. You know, and like, OK, um, you think you have power, but all you're doing is making things worse. And then if you think about these things, all of these things from the Davos perspective, what's it doing? It's driving even more oil to be priced in other currencies, which then puts downward pressure on the dollar. What's that doing? Right. like. This is the whole plan. It's to destabilize everybody. The United States looks like they're getting something on the one hand, but on the other hand, they're getting something else because people can't think through second order effects. So, you know, I can sit here and do this, literally do this rant until my voice gives out and we still won't get anywhere because the truth of the matter is that it never ends. And every week we just go through the same stupid tit for tat, dumb policy. You know descriptions of what's going on. The IEA says stop using, you know, stop trying to use production cuts to to work against our sanctions policy. The <laughs> OPEC turns around and goes, stop using sanctions to undercut our bottom lines and our budgets. Like it's not. This is this is the fight of the century, and you know, I know who's going to win. <laughs> it's not hard. People need energy and they're not going to, you know, and they can't power industrial economies with solar farms. Sorry, you just can't. You can't power it with wind farms either. Like, I don't sit here anymore every time the wind is blowing like it is right now, going, damn, I really wish I had a windmill outside. Like, no, I don't. I did that for the first couple of years I was at this house. Now I just look at it and go, God. The only thing I can think of now is that the freaking wind, the, the, the windmill turns so freaking hard that it blows up my freaking inverter and, you know, starts my house on fire. So, there you go. All right. So, yeah, again, like, I, like electricity generation is difficult. It's not easy. Steady state is better than variable state. It just is. In every way. Predictability. Simplicity. Like, these are the things that make modern economies run. And, you know, <laughs> that's clearly not what we're allowed to have because, you know, because. All right. So looking at the uh, the charts this week and what they all mean, it was very clear. Wednesday morning, I think I did the market report and I was talking about how the, um, the German-U.S. spreads were collapsing. like They were insanely, they were moving really, really quickly to the downside from Germany's perspective, meaning the ten-year U.S.-German tenure uh, was under 1% and all that. And then literally within three hours, Christine Lagarde moved it like seven basis points. And then it continued for the rest of the week. And then she got some support from uh, Ueda over at the Bank of Japan, who said, you know, we're not going to change our... our our yield curve control policy for the foreseeable future. Now, this is contrary to what I expected to wait to do, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, I don't know that, you know, again, you're not going to be right about everything. You know, you read the tea leaves and you think think stuff through and you say, okay, well, what's going on? But again, the Japanese 10-year is still trading below 0.5%, which is the limit for their yield curve control program. You know, there's a number of ways that that can be interpreted. And again, you know, there were two attempts on Prime Minister Kishida's life in the last week. And then the Bank of Japan comes out and says, we're going to hold on to yield curve control. You know, like things are dangerous out there. You know, they're really dangerous. So I don't know if Ueda is a good guy or a bad guy. I don't know. I don't know really that much about it. But so far, early reviews aren't good. Looks like Davos. Smells like Davos. Probably is Davos. But that may change in a few months. Because he's also serious about, you know, having to, you know, clamp down on emergent inflation. But if inflation in Japan is now running over three percent. We'll see what happens when inflation gets up above four or four and a half. And Mrs. Watanabe is losing 4% a year. I mean, the best thing that can happen to Mrs. Watanabe is for the Bank of Japan to give up yield curve control at this point, because then Mrs. Watanabe would rotate out of Japanese government bonds and into Japanese stocks, Japanese equities is kind of what I'm waiting for because I really want to go along Japanese equities. I kind of want to go along the Nikkei, right? But I can't until Ueda gets out of the way. Now why would, you know, now why wouldn't Ueda get out of the way? (laughs) These are the questions of the age now, aren't they? All right, so let's get into the charts. I'll get you out of here. All right, so we have both weekly and monthly closes today because today is the last month, the last day of April, and I've got uh, an article due for Newsmax after I get done with this this morning. So I'm going to get out of here as quickly as I can, but I've got a lot to go over this way, uh right now. So um, I'm going to. So let's start talking about some basics of technical analysis. Okay, there are three types of bars. For all, all you old folks that have been here forever, you can tune out for the next three or four minutes. Okay, there are three types of bars. There are inside bars, outside bars, and engulfing bars. Inside bars are really simple. It's like this bar right here. It's a bar that when you compare it to the previous bar broke neither the previous high nor the previous low. Nice and simple. The range of last of the current bar that you're looking at is inside the range of the previous bar, all right? That's it. That's all it means. Now, why is it important? Well, because less than 15% of bars are inside bars. That's what. So that's a big edge. Anything that is not a coin flip is what you're looking for. You're looking for things that give you tradable edges in all of this quantifiable tradable edges, right? where you can quantify your pot odds and then make a bet. And if, you know, and if the thing happens, then you can, you know, if you've got a high probability setup and you put some money on the table, you've got a high probability of getting paid. This is no different than calculating pot odds if you play poker. So 90% of what I talk about here can be learned by calculating pot odds in poker. And that's a web, and that's five minutes worth of work in an article on a website, okay? So, inside bars, break neither the previous high nor the previous low. Outside bars, well, that's where you break either the previous high or the previous low. You broke one of the two. There's three states, zero, one, and two, right? Now, that's where your tradable edge is. Well, yeah, that's really where your tradable edge is because 85% of bars, on average, depending on, I mean, thing is different. Every currency, stock, metal, whatever you're trading, is slightly different. And you can calculate the numbers for those, right? By just going back and grabbing a whole bunch of bar, a bunch of open, high, low, and close data and doing some histogram work. It's not hard. It's very simple Excel stuff, you know? Did you break the previous high? Yes. Did you break the previous low? You checked a versus either of those. You subtract one versus the other. And if you get a, you know, it's not hard, okay? Basic math, like, There's no calculus involved in any of this. Hell, there's not even any algebra, okay? It's just just counting and sorting, okay? So inside bars, outside bars, 85% of bars either break the previous high or the previous low. This is an outside bar. We broke the previous high, but we didn't break the previous low. And then an engulfing bar is exactly what you would expect it to be. It's where you break both of them, like this bar right here, break the high, break the low, you've engulfed the range of the previous bar. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because highs and lows represent emotional extremes in the markets, right? So A high is where the supply of sellers overwhelms the supply of buyers and are able to push the price away from the high, from whatever the high price was. At that, at the high, the market was kind of in balance between buyers and sellers right? It's kind of at equilibrium at the high, right? There's an equal number of buyers an equal number of sellers. And then once the price moves back away from that high, now the sellers are overwhelming the buyers. The buyers are less committed. They're not going to, they can't, they don't want to take the price any higher. The sellers want to take the price lower. The sellers went out, the price moves down. Well, the same thing happens at a low, right? The sellers keep pushing the price down. Eventually there's enough buyers come in to support the price and you get a low forms and the supply of buyers overwhelms the supply of sellers and they move the price back up. All right, So that's why highs and lows are important. They represent emotional extremes in the markets. Okay. Emotional extremes in the markets. None of this has anything to do with market fundamentals other than the trader's perspectives on what they, and perceptions of what they believe the fundamentals are. But that's all second, third, fourth derivative in mathematical terms mathematical terms, of what they're actually doing, of what their behavior actually is. Because, you know, there's a lot of different types of players in the market. There are momentum players, there are, there are swing traders, there's day traders, there's long-term investors, there's, you know, there's Mrs. Watnabi. There are, there are informed investors, there are ignorant investors, there's everybody in the market. There are retail Muppets and institutional buyers and sellers. Like, this, everybody's there. The market just aggregates all their behavior. And the market, you know, and this is why the markets, quote unquote, don't give a shit about fundamentals. And if there's one thing I the one thing I can teach you outside of Malthus is always wrong, that Malthusian thinking is always wrong, it's that the market doesn't give a shit about what you think the fundamentals of the stock are. Okay? Markets trade on momentum and sentiment, they don't trade on fundamentals. Fundamentals inform momentum and sentiment, but they do not determine momentum and sentiment. This is why so many kind of classic fundamental traders fail, and, and fundamental fund managers and, and, and market analysts fail, because they refuse to accept the idea that fundamentals don't matter. Markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Why? Because markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Why? Because psychopaths can bankrupt, can, can stay in the market against your position longer than you can stay solvent and take all your money from you. And if you've ever been bluffed off of a big pot you should have won at a poker table, you know exactly what that feels like. And if you've not played that game, and if you've not done that in your life, and you don't know what that feels like, you shouldn't trade. Even those of us who have been in that situation, many of us shouldn't trade. But you can still analyze the stock to try and figure out where it is, and is it at a good buy point or a good sell point? So, now that we understand all of those basics, those are the basics. Those are the that's 75% of it. Now that you understand why highs, lows, why highs and lows are important, and then why closes are important, because closes aggregate an entire time period and say this is what the market thought of the that stock or that metal or that currency at that moment in time. And for all markets except for Bitcoin. And cryptocurrencies in general, closes are very important because closes because markets close. They don't trade on the weekends. And so people have to live with their positions for up to 72 hours. So a weekly close or a monthly close in the Dow or gold or Microsoft or whatever is important because for three days, two and a half days, someone has to sit on that position and go, yeah, I'm comfortable with that and not being able to trade it. And that's why closing prices are so important. That's why you wait for a close at not just a violation of a previous high or a previous low. And that's why this is important. So now, now we get into the concept of what can we do? What what can we do with this? Well, what we we can do with this is then we can start identifying reversal signals, right? All we care care about now, I'm, I'm very similar to Alex Craner and I just like to follow trends. The question is which trend, is it a weekly trend, a monthly trend, a minute, you know, a 10-minute trend, a, an annual trend? Time aggregates, you know, time period, time frame should be matched to the type of investor you are. If you're, you know, a hyper-active, adrenaline-addicted Momo monkey, you're trading 10-minute charts. And if you're a long-term investor like, I don't know, Warren Buffett, you're looking at monthly, quarterly, and annual charts, where you're aggregating large time frames to get a, a sense of what all of the market players are doing. Because the 15-minute charts don't aggregate the Warren Buffetts of the world. They're they're not they're not those price movements are not reflecting their behavior. The monthly charts are reflecting their behavior, or the quarterly charts are, reflect, are reflecting their behavior or at the very least they're reflecting a higher percentage of their behavior. Okay. So let's define a reversal signal. A reversal signal is when you close against the previous trend. So here's your, so here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Here's a four bar downtrend, right? Bars, you know, we're, we open high and we close low four weeks in a row and price moves down. Now we get this bar, which is an engulfing bar because we broke the previous low and the previous high, and we closed above the high, the emotional extreme of the previous down bar, which is bearish, and we closed bullishly above it. That's a reversal signal. Not only is it a reversal signal, it's a one bar reversal because it happened within the next bar and one-bar reversals tend to hold their water and truly reverse and continue the, the new trend 85% of the time. Like this one. And it's an engulfing bar, so we saw a previous low. We broke a previous low and the previous high and closed above the previous high. That's huge. That's as bullish a signal as you can get in this system. Period. There's no other signal that's more that's more powerful than the bullish or bearish one-bar engulfing reversal. Right? Look what happened here. We closed on the low, practically on the low. Had a massive 95 98% chance of breaking the previous low versus the previous high. Right? Because all you had to do is traverse that little bit of difference down there. And then it shot right against it and closed against it the next week. It's a massive move, which is what sent gold from 1800 to nearly 2100 and we got a big move up trade sideways for a little while, break a little bit higher, establish a new high neatly by about a dollar, avoid a reversal here because the close here is hard to see, but the close here was about a dollar above this low. So no reversal there, even though we violated why closes are important. We violated the low, but it's not, a, it's not a reversal. It's not a reversal because you didn't close below the low. And then the next week, you follow it up with an inside bar. Meaning the the sellers are spooked. They don't want to take it back to the previous low. But the buyers aren't confident yet. So they didn't take it above the previous high. So now the market is sitting here going, oh, what do I do? Coming into the monthly close in gold. So all this fight, all this interesting stuff that's happening here aggregates down to, "Well, what does it look like here? Well, we have the same thing. We have a seven bar downtrend here. We have a one bar, not maybe engulfing. I'm not really sure. Reversal on the monthly chart six months ago, right? Here's the reversal signal right here. A nice three month uptrend, Whee! A, an avoided reversal here. And then a continuation because this reversal was avoided. And then we closed above this high. We got even for more, more upside but then we closed with, you know, far away from the monthly high, but it's still in gold terms, an all-time monthly high closing price. Like we've never closed a month higher than this price than we just did in April. So not only do we have at the short-term level, the weekly level, uh, an avoided reversal bar with an inside bar set up for more upside this week, but the highest all-time monthly close. The problem, we also have a double top here on the monthly chart. What this means is, as I keep saying, the fight for 2000 continues. This is a big deal. And you'd expect the market to, you would expect a lot of uncommitted bulls to lose their, you know, to lose their shit above 2000. You'd see a whole lot of You know overconfident bears come in at 2000 and then there's a whole lot of malign actors who don't want the price of gold to rise above two thousand dollars because it makes them look bad coming in to help to keep sitting on the price but constructively note the series of lows here the series of lows keeps rising even within this kind of consolidation right this fight big fights going on but the but the buyers keep coming in at higher prices that's also bullish again these bars tell you a story. As long as you know how to read them, as long as you understand the market psychology that goes into them. Okay? So, and sometimes if it gets noisy like this, you're not really sure what this means, back out and look at a a longer time period. And, you know, like you can get weekly and monthly data from anywhere. Almost anywhere. Don't go to stock charts. They want you to spend money to get monthly charts when you get them for free from investing.com. Quarterly charts, annual charts. Those you'll usually have to build yourself. I do them in Excel, but there's other there made. There are other services out there that you can pay money for. I refuse to pay money because I'm cheap, um, and I also have a system. And I've been told I've been I've been you know I've had a lot of people come up to me and you know see oh by the way you can you know spend this a little bit of money and then you can get these really advanced charts with this service. And I'm like yeah, but I like hand building the charts. Even Dexter gets angry with me about this stuff. And the reason I like hand-building the charts is because then I have to spend a little bit of time looking at these things. It's a bit of a meditative thing. I get a time to live with these charts for a couple of minutes, and then I can move on to the next thing. Sometimes the story is very obvious. Sometimes it's very subtle. Silver. Now that you know all the rules, those are all the rules! And if you see a reversal signal... Like here's another one, one last rule. When you see a reversal signal in a shorter time frame, immediately go out to the longer time frame and see if it's significant. Because look, we had a reversal here on the weekly chart. Ooh, and then it translated into a reversal signal on the monthly chart at the same time. Homework did it translate into a, a, a reversal signal on the quarterly chart. You can do the math. You can plot this out. All you gotta do is grab the high for all you gotta do is grab the highs, grab the lows, grab the open and grab the close for every three month aggregated period from January to March, April to June, July to uh, to September, October to December. Keep doing that's what I do. I hand build them, I aggregate the data all the time. I didn't look at the quarterly chart because we're in the first month of the quarter, so I don't even care at this point. But by the way, April's high was greater than March's high and greater than February's high, and greater than January's high. So guess what? We've already broken the previous high in Q2, in gold. What does that mean? It means that there's a very low percentage chance because only about three to 5% of bars are engulfing bars. It means that there's a very, very low probability that we're going to see gold drop back to these lows because it doesn't normally happen. It would be a seven-sigma event at this point. Six-sigma, six-seven-eight-sigma event. Okay? This is the power of understanding these things. Okay? So, this month, we have a 37% chance of breaking April's high in May. We have a 47% chance of breaking April's low in May. Based on Friday's closing price, and that if gold opens at Friday's price, probably won't, probably these numbers will adjust a little bit depending on what happens. Okay. But for the most part, that's what these numbers are. I just take, I just plug Friday's close into next week's open and then, and then do a, and then do a simple analysis on them. Okay. Just to see what the rough idea of where we're, we're going so that there's nothing discontinuous. If Friday's close, propagates into mondays open or sunday nights open in in gold's case then you know we have a rough idea of what our pot odds are of going higher or lower and here on the weekly chart, it's a coin flip on the monthly chart it's also a coin flip okay also note that when you sum these two numbers together and you get a hundred that's previous weeks normal volatility or previous months normal volatility going back in this case 254 weeks for gold and 84 months for gold so 5 years here 7 years here over 7 years the average we, the average monthly range is $75 the difference between the closing prices is $40 you can only you can only expect this is why this is important difference between closes what does that tell you on an absolute value basis you're either going to gain or lose $40 in gold every month so if you get more than a $40 move in gold during a monthly During like two days into the month or five days into the month, you think you're not going to get a correction on the weekly chart at some point. That's what these numbers are for. When the sum is greater than 100, you have less than normal volatility because you're closer to the low the, the, the closing price is really close to the low and it's really close to the high. So that means that the, the range of the bar itself was really low. Meaning in this case, the range of the bar was less than $41. When it's higher than that, when it's less than hundred percent, that means that the high and low are farther away, lowering the probability that you'll break them. And therefore the range here was greater than $75. Okay. All right. That's it. All right. The ulcers, you can come back into the, the market report. All right. Or OGs. You can come back into the market report. Silver, um, silver broke the previous low last week, but closed up in here. This is great after a huge move like this to see no, uh, no commitment from the, from, um, from silver traders to take the price on a closing basis back below $25, which is way above this cluster of highs here. If you draw a horizontal line across the chart, you'll see some, some, what used to be resistance, which we broke through and now it becomes and former Resistance becomes support once you're above it, right? So that's why this is important, okay? That's why breaking highs and lows are also important because now projecting out into the future, if you were to take this line, propagate it, you know, here and go all the way back, you'd see what I'm talking about. But you can draw one like right here. These lows, you can draw these uh, a line between here, here, and here and draw, draw a straight line across. And then you can say, well, it will probably correct back to that. Well, in this, in silver's case, you know we should see a retest of the low twenty, the low twenty fours, which we did, and we bounced right off of it. Very bullish. This is kind of bullish consolidation of previous gains. Right? The bulls are not done trying to push silver higher, but they are backing off on their positions a little bit because you know trading is dangerous. You could lose your money. So backing out into the uh, into the monthly chart, what do we have? Well, we have a close this month above these highs. That's very billi- that's very bullish, right? Um, we had a two-bar reversal here, correct? Right. So here's your four-bar uptrend. Here's your two-bar reversal. Took two bars to close below this low on the monthly chart, which was then re- not reversed, but we got a new bottom formed, and then we had a high probability setup that we would break the previous high and then get some momentum and possibly even break these highs here, which would then constitute a reversal. So this is an uptrend that's reversed with a two bar reversal. That's then immediately reversed with a two bar reversal. This is one of those two bar reversals that failed to continue the trend. This is that 35% of the time when the two bar reversal fails. Then again, this was also greater than normal volatility, and therefore was all the energy expended pushing the price down to here. And then the bulls just came in and said, you know what, 20 bucks on silver is a steal. And now we're back to 25. And now drawing a horizontal um, line off of this high closing price here, you can see we closed just shy of it in April. We got a pretty, you know, and then we have pretty ugly probabilities for this month, but. Again, silver right now is looks like its volatility is starting to rise, which is usually a good sign for, you know, if we've got an uptrend that the uptrend is going to continue. We'll see, but that's where we are. Silver looks good both at the weekly chart level. Hey, we're getting a little bit of a pullback, consolidation, people forming up their positions, getting used to the price of 25, and that propagated into the monthly chart with two bar reversal. I got news for you. Technical traders are going to look at that two bar reversal and they're going to want to and they're going to buy it on the open. And we'll be shocked if we don't buy, if we don't see a buy on the open. We also have six to four pot odds that we're going higher versus lower this week, right at normal volatility. This is normal volatility for silver. Some here is one hundred and two percent. Can't get much closer to one hundred than that. And we got six to four pot odds. Sixty percent chance of going higher, forty percent chance of going lower, right? Not a great probability setup. So if you were a if you were a guy wanting to trade this, I wouldn't trade this. Right, I would wait for the for the price to break the high, and then I would go long, and I would give this up. I would give this distance up because if you get the break here, you'll probably get a move to twenty six, and you've got more um, you got more upside waiting for the break than taking the chance here that you'll lose sixty cents to the downside. But that's me. You do what you want. Bitcoin. Um, Same thing with gold, really. Bitcoin avoided a reversal signal two weeks ago. You can't see it because it's like within a couple of dollars, but it did. Um, And then we got a nice double bottom here. Well, triple bottom, really. This is all these clusters, all these lows here are great because there's no closing prices below, really, like 28,000. That's good. We got a nice move back into the 29s, and this is this morning. Now, Bitcoin hasn't closed for the month yet, though. Because today is April thirtieth, so when Bitcoin, so at uh, twelve p.m. Greenwich Mean Time tonight, we will get the actual official monthly close for Bitcoin. But unless something catastrophic happens, all we have now is a nice, nicely formed four-month uptrend in Bitcoin. We had the massive collapse from sixty-eight grand down to sixteen. The downtrend continued on the monthly basis. Right, all this noise in, you know, all this noise gets gets normed out to this nice big strong reversal signal breaking the high here 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 and closing above the open and yeah only going back it it broke four highs on the close closed high into the end of the month and then took its time and then broke and then broke higher with a nice you know correction and engulfing move higher right all good i think bitcoin looks great here and i'm really happy that we killed the reversal signal because remember in order to reverse this uptrend we had to get a we had to get a close below this low to get the two bar reversal here the reversal was avoided completely and with this level of volatility i wouldn't consider this a continuation of this uptrend right this uptrend's been arrested now we're setting up a, a range trade between 275 or so and 31000 and now are what we're what we're waiting for is a break of this high or this high. I think Bitcoin's going to trade in this range for a few more weeks before it decides what it's going to do. Or at least for the first couple of weeks in May. And then it may go, may try and move back towards the 30s. Because look, go to the monthly chart and you've got support. You've got resistance here, 35, 36, right? 40. All right. Uh, Brent Crude. So looking at Brent Crude on a weekly basis, I kept telling you that when we got the big OPEC production cut over the weekend that pushed the price higher. And then I'll be honest with you, Davos sat on the price for three weeks in order to force it down, in order to fill the gap. We got the gap filled this week. We didn't even, we didn't get a close below the top of the gap though. This gap here, that's good. whale's not in a good position. They're in control of the market. The bears are in control of the market and you can see it here clearly, but that's a very unnatural pattern. There's not much appetite for oil below eighty dollars. Okay, so I look at this as kind of a, an ugly and violent uh, consolidation, as you know, OPEC and Davos fight it out as to who's going to win and what the price of oil is going to be. Geopolitically, we know that they want uh, that Davos wants desperately wants fifty dollar barrel oil. The Biden administration wants to refill the SPR at fifty bucks. They um, also want to get uh, gasoline prices down below three dollars a gallon, and they need to break. Um, they need to break the market. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it, but we'll see. I've had a lot of um, requests for natural gas stocks in the last few weeks, and I've got one this morning as well. So I wanted to do natural gas. I hadn't actually looked at the long-term natural gas price from a technical perspective in a while. I have been noting the Nat gas price here and there. And I knew kind of intuitively that we had a, a reversal signal two weeks ago because I knew we were trading at two and then we're back above 230 240 I'm like, we have to have thrown, I mean, just intuitively, I'm like we had to have thrown a reversal signal. I was correct. Uh, we get a little bit of an engulfing bar here, but continuation of the uptrend, it's very strong. Um, so the weekly chart in Nat gas is showing bottoming action here. We got a bottom here. We have some bottoms here. So anything below $2 is getting bought and, um, the market is firming up. We're into the middle of the summer. Now people are going to be turning on their air conditioners and refilling, you know, for the fall, for the winter and blah, 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 blah. So Nat gas prices are going to start rising. Um, Old wells that were not replaced will be drying up. You know, they'll start drilling new wells, but, you know, will they drill as many replacement wells? That's a good question. I don't know. I haven't been following that very closely. But the the price of natural gas looks like this is clear bottoming that's been going on for the last three months. So that's good. But when you go out to the monthly chart, you can see an epic collapse from $10 all the way down below 2 But this is an inside bar that we threw in April. So, inside bars aren't a tradable thing, but you can say that some. You look at them as sig- as potential signals to go to pay attention to, right? They're the kind of thing that well, hey, we didn't break anything. Is the market setting up for a reversal? We know it, it, this isn't great. This isn't a great setup for 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 May that will get a two-bar reversal here, opening here and closing above three dollars. But if we do get it, you can probably say that, yeah, we'll be moving back up into the three, four dollar range. But I don't think that's going to happen in May. I think what we'll see is a I don't know. I, I, I mean, my personal feel on this is that we're gonna get a whole lot of bottoming action here between two fifty dollars two forty and three dollars for a few month for a couple more months. certainly into the end of Q two. And then into the early Q three, we may get a breakout from consolidation. It'll show up as kind of a noisy pattern down here. Um, in on the monthly chart, we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I forgot to animate this. So ignore blackstone minerals for a minute. Let's just talk about MP minerals. Um, the April breakdown in MP minerals to 2167 on the close was bad. We closed below long-term support at 2250, 24, right? These lows here, not good. Um, I don't know what the number, what the volume numbers are because investing.com's database is not particularly good. So ignore this stuff down here. Um, I actually, when i'm i usually cut the, the volume off unless it's interesting um so just ignore this so this is a u.s uh, rare earth metals slash rare earth magnet producer um and a play on the electric vehicle industry uh it's a nice idea but i went through their balance sheet 2022 revenue on a quarterly basis quarter over quarter all the way through down they must have lost contracts rivian is in trouble blah 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 They are richly valued um, with negative cash flow right now. So even though they're trading with a trailing PDE of about 13, um, there's a very good chance that the stock could drop back into the teens or even the low teens. I'm not convinced on EVs at this point. Um, We'll see what happens. I think the market is, I think the auto producers are being struggle sessioned into having to build EVs that they do not want to build. Okay. That's what I think. And I think the minute there's any kind of political um, shift away from this the this, uh, this CO2 madness, the car companies will go right back to giving us, you know, 5.7 liter V8s, which would make me very happy. So, all right, Blackstone Minerals. This is a, like Permian Basin Royalty Trust, which we have in the portfolio, <laughs> Uh, An oil and gas uh, royalty style company. I don't know that they're really an oil royalty trust. I couldn't quite grab grab that from the profile on Investing.com. That's all I did. Um, But, you know, if you're interested in this company, you'll know. It is an LP, so it is a limited partnership. So it's maybe not a royalty trust, but certainly some kind of limited partnership designed to distribute large amounts of its profit as cash flow to investors. It's got a very high yield of around 11%. Um, there was a big top with natural gas six seven months ago well actually the top in natural gas happened here there was a blow off top in the company in um, the stock price we get a four bar downtrend no reversal signal here though nice bottom I mean this is hard to it's hard to fault this as a not a reversal signal because you know I mean seriously this is a this is a, a big collapse and then move back so honestly you know technically it's not a reversal signal but this is a move, this is a 25% rally. That's how much the stock off the low, how much the stock collapsed and then has retraced. So really what you want to say is there's no appetite for the stock to trade below $15. And at this point, technical reversal definitions aren't really all that important. I would actually almost say that this is, this could have easily been a down bar and then this is a one bar reversal this month, even though this is an up bar technically, but given the breadth of this bar, and the breadth of the reversal in price this month. Um, Yeah, but, and the good news is that during the downtrend, you know, volume was falling off, which is good. Um, And, uh, but there wasn't great, you know, volume follow through action to the upside. But then again, natural gas is trading at, you know, 240-ish, a million BTUs, right? So, accumulate the stock, I think, below 17, 1750. um, If you're bullish on that US natural gas, right? here. And if, if not, then put in stink beds that are on $15. Again, forgot to, uh, animate the, uh, animate the chart. So let's look at Tilray. Um, I'm going to make this really short and sweet. It's a cannabis stock. Why are you in it? Look, Scott's miracle Grow company couldn't make money in hydroponics and the picks and shovels and the ca- cannabis industry. If anybody was going to make money in cannabis, it was going to be Scott's. And they lost their ass. This stock is cheap, but so what? Unless you are high on this industry, which I'm not, then just stay away. Um, This is a tax farm plan, meaning cannabis is now nothing more than an industry to be highly taxed for state governments that have have legalized. That's it. All right. Uh, Guanajuato Silver Company. Very interesting little silver company. I did a quick look at their balance sheet and their and their um, in their business model, it's right in line with what I like. So if this, so if the subscriber is a newsletter subscriber and knows my my preference for silver miners, right, then this looks like a sister stock to the one we have in our portfolio. Um, in this case, EXK, and it's got a very similar business model to rehabilitate old Mexican mines, right? Um, and that's good. It's got a little bit of debt on balance sheets, not a lot, but then again, it's also got a very small balance sheet. So um, the nice thing is I was I was about to poo-poo the balance sheet when I saw the debt, but then I went and looked at the last four years' worth of shareholder equity. And the way the company is is moving forward, it has added a lot of shareholder equity over the last four years. So this is an equity play. By the way, this is in Canadian dollars. This is the quote off of the Toronto Exchange. The, um, the U.S. ADR would trade at a, you know, divide this by the, Canadian dollar rate of what a dollar thirty-seven, so it's probably trading at about thirty-seven cents. Now they're forty cents American, something like that. 40, 42 cents American. So, um. uh yeah. So I like the share. I like the rising shareholder equity, and it's and it's a sharp rise from year over year from 2019 to 2022. And that's a good thing. So this is a good accumulation candidate here. And then somebody finally figured that out. Ooh, look at that. So somebody bought this. I'll bet you the Sprott boys did, but that's just my personal opinion, because um, they're probably looking at this, going, yeah, "Yeah, they're probably seeing the same thing I am." So maybe it's a good, maybe it's a good spec bet in the silver space. Okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't chase price in this. Though, you know what you're hoping for? You're hoping for continued languishing of the silver price for the next couple of weeks. Get everybody like un-, un uninterested in silver again. So the price drops back to 40 cents Canadian and then pick it up then. Because then the opportunity for it to go to 70 cents on a move of silver back towards 30. Oh, that's that's how you're making money. Okay. But you know, you gotta follow the just follow the price of silver and follow its sensitivity to the price of silver, and you'll you'll be okay. All right? Um, silver versus LIBOR. Uh, We are three days away from the FOMC's meeting on Wednesday. Fully expect 25 basis points. I think the entire market is happy with the idea of 25 basis points. Um, We are also noting that the SOFR curve continues to say that the Fed may, again, raise rates in late May, or sorry, in late June. Um, But it's not fully convinced about 25 basis points yet, but come on. Um, And... What we had this week was, you know, a move back towards a slightly higher terminal rate, and you know, the the and even with the whole, you know, uh, volatility in uh, First Republic Bank, um, and I'm really glad that I kept saying to everybody, every time I was asked about First Republic Bank, I kept saying, you know what, too early, don't catch a falling knife, too early, don't catch a falling knife. I certainly hope everybody listened to me, because the first time I did it, the stock was trading at ten. I said it could go down to seven, but don't buy it. And now it's trading at four, okay? This is being too early on a stock, on a company that is in serious trouble and is in the crosshairs of, or is certainly in the crossfire of a big political fight, is not a place you want to be as an investor. It really isn't. I wasn't telling any of you to buy Bitcoin in the 16,000s until we were six to seven weeks into that bottoming action. Same reason. Wait for the political ugly to clear. Then start thinking about it. Then really start thinking about it. And then, then just wait for a breakout and then buy the breakout. And you'll do okay. And with Bitcoin, sometimes you have to be more nimble than wait for a weekly close. You gotta be like, no, buy the horizontal breakout, whatever it is, and then, yeah and be it'd be in there and just buy it you know cuz bitcoin's very volatile all right um so there's not much going on here i want to note that on wednesday like i said in the opening remarks that we had a these these um curves were far lower than this they were 6 to 7 basis points lower that wednesday morning than wednesday's close these are all closing prices of course so, and then we can see the massive buying spree that went on of the U.S. two-year, probably because of First Republic Bank um, on Friday. I think the ECB was in there, and certainly what happened with the BOJ. There was a lot of people thinking, okay, the BOJ is going to keep our can allow me to keep my short yen carry trades in place. You know, these spreads are too tight. I can make some money on the spread. Um dollar index though is firming up, trying to push towards uh one oh two. I will probably put the US dollar index soon up soon. We'll probably do it in a market report. The euro closed the month at a dollar ten, but again, it was inside of the it was at the low end of the bar. And I really do think that the Euro rally is very, very, very long in the tooth. Uh the Yuan was up a little bit. Uh the yen, of course, collapsed after UEDA's press conference or you know, is uh uh, uh policy meeting, the the pound fell off a little bit. The ruble really doesn't matter very much. I just like to throw it up here just to show you that, oh, by the way, that now the ruble is inversely, the ruble dollar is now inversely correlated to oil. That the, the lower oil goes, the more the ruble strengthens. It's a little weird. It just kind of shows you, you know, how much the ruble dollar index rate, um, exchange rate doesn't matter anymore. U.S. German 10-year... Comes in at around uh, 1.12, 1.3%, 1.13% and copper's 3.90 a pound. Last thing to talk about is the Dow. All right. And let's not get too aggressive with the mouse wheel, Thomas. So here's our consolidation pattern in the Dow. Note the big engulfing bar here. Note the uh, attempted collapse below the midline of this. I don't have it drawn in here. Um, the midline of the consolidation. So you just draw you know, a bisecting line across here right. Which I've shown in previous market reports and there's the remnant of it. I just move it up and, 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 and augment things. Um, you'll note that we closed above it because it was like the, the bisector is like right around here. Okay. So note that there was a huge attempt to, you know, roll over and maybe reverse this uptrend, right? Cause here's your five bar uptrend. Here's your inside bar. And then, oh, look, we got a big move down, but then look at where we closed. This is why if you are on Tuesday or Wednesday screaming, oh my God, the Dow is going to collapse and it's, going to be, it's a reversal and it's over, um, you look like an idiot on Friday. That's why you wait for closing prices, folks, and you match your time frame. This is a classic example of how a bar, how a market can look really bad intra-week and really good intra uh, by the end of the week or vice versa. All of this shaded area norms out to this on the monthly chart. And again, look, attempted collapse outside of the zone, didn't work. Big, huge move higher. Not quite a reversal signal of this reversal of this bar, but then again, this really isn't a downtrend. I mean, it is, but it's all within the context of the range of this bar. Basically, we're just trading within the range of this bar and we're consolidating all of the, we're consolidating now after this one bar reversal of this big downtrend. And the two-bar uptrend, and it was trading sideways, and establishing a new range, and just chopping within, you know, a fifteen hundred point range. That's all we're doing. But we're chopping to the we're chopping with upside bias. So what happens with the Dow? Well, if you you are accumulating below thirty three thousand or in the thirty three thousand area, and you're selling the thirty five thousand area, if you're if you're trying to accumulate and swing trade this or you ignore all of that buy the bottom here and then be happy when we get a violation to the upside here and if you don't like this pattern and i'm not saying you should or you shouldn't but if you're bearish on stocks then don't buy at all and just wait for a break of the of the areas of the area but here's the thing note what happened the last time you tried you, you if you went short the, the dow here everybody who was talking about the Dow was going to fall to 27,000 or 25,000 cuz it broke it broke down like it did back in March just lost their ass. Okay. And I was screaming that week that this was bad. But my fundamental, this is where fundamentals come back in. Right? This is where you say, okay, fundamentally what would be drive what would drive the Dow lower, what would drive the Dow higher, and what's more important? International capital flows, when the Dow is cheap, relatively speaking, or domestic uh economic uh stagnation. I'm always going to argue that international capital flow is more important. So that's my bias. It could be wrong, but in this case, it turned out to be correct. Right. And this was a significant close, I think, for the month. I mean so we closed above the midpoint of this range. Like this is a good, this is not a bad pattern. I mean, yeah, it's not. So all right. I hope this was helpful and instructive for the new people who are really um uh who are interested in, you know, raising their A game here. Uh, and trying to get the most out of this. Um, this will be one of those that in the future as we go forward, I'll just kind of go back and remind everybody, go watch the April 30th market report. Because I think that's the best way of going about it. And I'll try and note that in my head from here forward. Watch the April 30th, 2023 market report. I'll do another one of these lessons in you know three or four months, but I will not do another organized one like this uh, for a while. Okay? Because I, I just can't. I can't do that every I can't do that every time. I can do it every once in a while, every 3 months or so when there's a significant number of new people have moved in. But, you know, unless we have an influx of 500 people next month. That's what's not going to happen. But I had gotten like six or seven comments on this. And then the uh, the video I did with Crypto Rich not this week with Alex and Alex, Alex Mercurius and Alex Craner, but the one I did with him on my own last week. Uh, the week before, well, the Saturday before, which is linked in Patreon. I also, that there's a, a full discussion of a lot of these concepts in there as well, where I go over it in detail for people. All right, so that's what I have. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the rest of my afternoon by, you know, writing an article for Newsmax. You guys be well, you take care. We'll talk soon. We'll talk Wednesday. Keep your stick on the ice.